0: Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths of God's plan for matrimony.
1: Man has really dishonored the institution of marriage that God has given to him as he's designed it and planted, and he has perverted it, corrupted it, and degraded it. The believer is to recognize that marriage is honorable among all. There is a plan, there is a design, there is a right way, there is a wrong way. And if people follow it, they get the benefit of it.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When the happy couple says, I do, have you ever wondered, are they really listening to the commitment they're making in the marriage vows? Well, with today's divorce rate at over 50%, it doesn't seem likely. And that's the exhortation behind today's study drawn from the book of Hebrews. Let's join Pastor Xavier for today's important Simple Truths lesson titled, Marriage is the Best.
1: The question was asked of elementary school children, how do you decide who to marry? And the response was the following. You get to find somebody who who likes the same stuff you do. Like if you like sports, she should like it and uh, she should keep bringing the chips and the dip. (laughs) Alan, age 10. No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) Kristen, age 10. A second question was asked, what is the right age to get married? 23 is the best age because you know that person forever by that time. Camille, age 10. No age is good to get married at. You got to be a fool to get married, Freddie, age six. <laughs> all these children had to have been influenced by adults. What would your children say to these questions? Love is to be the uh, distinguishing mark of the church and the Christian, as you know. Jesus said, "By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another." In John thirteen thirty four. We're to love God supremely with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as thyself. In these two lie all the commandments, the prophets, on and so forth, Jesus told the Lord in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven through 40. Paul tells the Romans that love is the fulfillment of the law in Romans thirteen, ten. Uh, we can boast of our knowledge, we can boast of the pastor we sit under, we can boast of the church, we can boast of our mission, budgets, or whatever it may be, but it all means nothing if the motivation behind it is not love. If our... Aspect and perspective of life is not God's love. I'm never talking about perfection, but we have a great potential in Christ Jesus. For that reason, the author of Hebrews here concludes the epistle with the practical exhortation regarding the proper perspective and practice of love in chapter 13. Chapter 11, faith. 12, hope. 13, love. Faith, hope, and love. The grace of this is love. And notice that he begins this chapter with four individual groups that he addresses. In verse one, love for the believer. Verse two, love for the strangers. Verse three, love for those in prison. And verse four, love for one's mate. It is this last one that I want to focus on one's love for one's mate. Through the institution of marriage, which reveals three things to the believer that he is to recognize about marriage. Verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but foreigner cares and adulterers God will judge. Here are the three things that believers to understand from this verse first, the believers to recognize that marriage is honorable among all, secondly, the believers to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationships in marriage. And then, thirdly, the believers to recognize that God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Three simple things that are very, very important for us today. The believers to recognize that marriage is honorable among all. He says it in very few words, straightforward. No exposition, just a proclamation. First of all, marriage is the institution of God, not man, by this statement. It is from Genesis all the way to here. God created Adam and Eve, Adam from the dust of the ground, Eve from his curved side. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, as you know, and from his curved side he took flesh, bone, and blood and made the woman. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man in Genesis 2.23. And then God, as you know, performed the very first marriage, the very first ceremony to bring a man and a woman together. The idea behind the word for marriage is that of joining two people for life, a commitment till death. Fidelity, loyalty, words that you don't find in today's society, they're dirty words. Fidelity, loyalty, integrity, commitment, morality, dirty words today. The word marriage is used in the context here to describe the state of, of marriage, the institution that God created. Uh, and it's also used for wedding ceremonies in that context, as we see in Matthew twenty two twenty nine 29, and then the wedding feast at Canaan in John 2, 1. So it describes both the institution as well as the ceremony and the feast that's going on. Now, also marriage as God's institution is honorable because it is God's institution. The word honorable it's pretty self-explanatory. It's the whole something of a great price, uh, of great value, great esteem, especially dear to one. That's what the word means. The reasons for marriage being honorable or of great price and value are given to us in the book of Genesis 2.18. First of all, for companionship. And the Lord God said, it is not good for a man that he should be alone. Companionship. That's the first reason why it's of high value and honorable. Single men and divorced men die sooner than married men. Don't laugh, they do. Fast foods, fast living, loneliness. Second reason for compatibility. two eighteen of Genesis. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Compatibility. Male and female were created for the harmonious, efficient living as one it's better to have two the proverb says if you lay down you have body heat if two are together in their attack they can be help to one another thirdly genesis 2:23 for completeness and adam said this is now bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she should be called woman because she was taken out of man for completeness here the most natural thought when someone is in love with another person is that they say, I cannot live without them. Because they feel complete in their presence. And when they're not in their presence, they feel a void. Now, God's love is not based on emotions. But there is that sense of identity when someone's in love. I want to be with that person. Completeness. Fourthly, for community. 2.24 of Genesis says, therefore a man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. For community. God created man to be in community according to God's institution of marriage, which is the healthiest and has proven in every civilization. And when that is broken, decay comes in. Fifth, for cohabitation, Genesis 2.24, and they shall become one flesh. There is to be a gratification with that one person that cannot be compared to any other. One man, one woman. Good reasons to hold marriage in high value, esteem. A goal, if you will, something to shoot for, something to wait for, something to long for. Today, that's not the perspective. You ever find your Christmas gifts before Christmas and open them up as a gift as a kid? Were you excited when you opened them? I don't think so. Marriage as God's institution, notice, is honorable among all. The proclamation is certainly applicable to the believer because we have the greatest capacity. As he's speaking here in chapter 13. As a believer, you and I can receive all the benefits of the marriage institution because we have the spirit of God, we have the word of God, we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to say no to sin and yes to God. We have the ability to say no to our flesh, to deny ourselves, to reckon the old man dead, and to put on the new man, and to walk in the Spirit. The proclamation also includes the unbeliever, it says all, among all. Now, though he or she is not a Christian, that doesn't mean that they can't enjoy marriage. They can receive all the benefits of marriage because it's God's institution, and He honors even non-believing marriages on the level of the human level they're at without Christ, the emotional, the physical. And there are some, and maybe you are here today, where before you were in Christ, or maybe you don't know Christ, and you have a great marriage, and you're not not a Christian. Or you weren't a Christian, and you had a great marriage. And you were smart enough and had enough common sense to realize that this thing works, and it's the best. But it falls. And fell way short of what it is now in Christ. If you were like that before Christ, now you're in Christ, you realize that even though you believed in marriage, you had a good marriage, now in Christ, it's like before having the light bulb, but now the light comes on. There's a big difference. But God still honors this institution in the non-believer. And if the non-believer aligns himself with the institution of marriage, they will receive great benefit. The proclamation of marriage is for all. Therefore, it makes all men and women responsible and accountable to God for their vows, for the person they marry, for the number of marriages, for the unfaithfulness in marriage, for the false accusations and excuses and justifications to get out of marriage, for the simple reason that adultery And abandonment are the only scriptural basis for a person to leave another in marriage. There may be rare exceptions. I never deal with exceptions from the pulpit. I only deal with the absolute clear things. And that's abandonment and adultery. And adultery is not a command to divorce. It's an option. Where there's true repentance, if there can be true forgiveness, you have that option. And by the way, abandonment is not that your husband or wife moves down the street with his girlfriend or boyfriend. It means that you don't know where he is or she is and they've been gone for a long, long time and you can't find them. Abandonment is like a lost coin, you don't know where it's at. <laughs> That's what abandonment is. In 1910, one in ten marriages ended in divorce. 1948, one in four. 1970, one in five. 1973, Now, I don't know how they figure that, but 2.8 in 6 ended up in divorce. 48% in 1973. In just those 63 years, there was a 400% increase in divorce in our nation. 1991, 2,433,000 marriages took place. And 1,168,000 divorces took place only 48,000 shy of 50% mark. But keep in mind that 50% of those divorces were second, third, and fourth marriages. In other words, serial marriages and divorces. So you can see the landslide against marriage, the corruption of it. Stop and think of what man has done to God's institution of marriage. Uh, Man has declared that marriage is just merely a piece of paper. What's the big deal? Man says that marriage simply is an agreement between two people to live together. God has nothing to do with it. And it's the working out of two people. Kind of like a business negotiation and contract. Man says that marriage is not limited to the joining of a man and a woman now. And it has been for a long time. We have a very strong lobbying homosexual political party that are fighting for same-sex marriages to be legal. It's just amazing. There's already recognition of lesbian and homosexuals to live as partners. And though they're not recognized as legal marriages, they have legal rights to insurance benefits and vacation and maternity and all that. Which brings a strain to the whole economy beyond the actual number of male-female marriages, which would be normal. As you know, homosexuals and lesbians can equally adopt children, raise them, and society sees nothing wrong with that, and that it's normal. So we have redefined the family and marriage for the most part. But it doesn't take away from what marriage is, as God planned it and designed it. And how it really works. And so man has really dishonored. The institution of marriage. That God has given to him. As he's designed it and planted, And he has perverted it. Corrupted it. And degraded it. The believer is to recognize that marriage is. Honorable among all. There is a plan. There is a design. There is a right way. There is a wrong way. And if people follow it. They get the benefit of it. Notice, secondly, that the believer is to recognize the appropriateness of sexual relationships in marriage. Now, this is basic. But because of the world that we live in and Paul lived in, and Peter and all of them, they're always facing a corrupt society one way or another, so they have to address it. Because people come out of the world, that corrupt system, into the church, you and I were in the world. We were corrupt. We came into the church. So we have to learn what is the Bible saying. He says, in the bed, undefiled. The institution of marriage carries with it a great privilege. Sexual relationships are allowed. Okay? If you're married and you don't know that, it's allowed. All right? The word undefiled... Means to be on soil, free from being degraded or debased. The context of sexual oneness is marriage, not single life. This is the context. The permission is never allowed for a single person in the scriptures. The reason is given in Genesis. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Genesis 2.25. The context is marriage. That's never stated anywhere else or given permission anywhere else in any other context. The sexual union of a man and a woman, as you know, is the most intimate and the most personal act with another person that God designed and planned for marriage and marriage alone. You can hold hands, you can hug, you can kiss, but none of these can even compare or come close to the sexual relationship of a man and a woman. And it is a progressive move from one to the other. God intended it. And you're not to have any other comparison. That's what God would have for us. That's God's ideal. But also the institution of marriage carries with it an obligation. Here it is. You ready for it? The obligations of having sexual relationships. It's a privilege and it's an obligation. You might find that strange when I say that. But the scriptures command us. No Christian in marriage can deny the other the right to conjugal rights. The Christian in marriage can communicate to his or her mate a desire to abstain for a set time, perhaps for the purpose of seeking the Lord or fast, whatever it may be, but only for a set time by permission and not trying to set the world's record, but something that's reasonable. Paul the Apostle deals with this because Christians can get weird sometimes about sex. Some Christians at the time, if they, they, they deny themselves this right once they're married, then it makes them more spiritual. No, no, it just makes people more frustrated and uh, Unreasonable. Paul the Apostle, as you know, addresses the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. He says, he says, I would have you to know that a man is not to touch a woman or a woman, a man, except for their own mate. And that both of you have the equal obligation. And he focused on the man not to deny himself to his wife because that's a conjugal right. Except by permission and with a reasonable time, lest you be tempted by Satan and you come back and everything goes well. So the command is the obligation to the man, and he deals with the woman also. Once you say, I do at the altar, you cannot say, I won't in the bedroom. It is undefiled, free from dishonor and soiling. If you want to be a monk, do it before you're married. You want to be a nun, none of this, none of that, do it before you're married. (laughs) Okay? Don't do it while you're married. It's except by consent and that for a time, seeking God, but it's by permission. You say, hon, you know, I'm going to seek the Lord. I got some things I've been, I'm praying for our son, our daughter. Or I'm seeking the Lord for this. I'm just going to give myself to the Lord a day, two, three, whatever. And he says, sure, Han, i I'll be praying for you. And so that way, you know, you're aware of it together you're not going to blow your reward and you're praying for each other and that way whatever if, a, if one of the one of you a, attempts to to be with the one that night you know they're not going to say no 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 and then you get off you already know about that so you're praying for them okay but it's reasonable if you say honey you know i i mean i i've been praying about something i really want to give myself the lord so i'm going to give myself the lord this whole year not on your life <laughs> no by permission that goes for the male and the female. I need permission from my wife and she needs permission from me. You understand? Anybody who teaches you that sex is bad in marriage is teaching doctrines of demons. First Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Marriage is blessed by God. Okay? It's an aesthetic like if you're going to make you more spiritual. No, no, no. You feel that you want to keep yourself from sex? Hey, great. Serve the Lord. But don't get married. Don't. Destroy a person. Don't, don't do that. Now, both husbands and wives are obligated to maintain sexual purity. Not only obligation to conjugal rights, but to maintain sexual purity. Both being loyal to each other. Not allowing any other person to rob them of their affections. You don't have to have sex with somebody. Are you allowing somebody to rob you of, of your affections from your wife, your husband? You get out there in the workforce. You start rubbing elbows. You start playing around. You start kind of getting carried away, and this and that. And all of a sudden, your affections start being, Mm-mm-mm. and God gives you that, <clears throat> and you go, mm. and and then he go, then he knocks on the on the door, and you still don't pay attention. Pay attention to the checks before you cross that line. They're there. You know them. I know them. There's blinking yellow lights. There's blinking red lights. And there's bright red lights. You know them, I know them. Both being faithful in sexual union to one another. No one else is involved in the Holy of Holies. Both keeping their sexual life private, not discussing it with anyone else. Very important, especially in our day that it's so corrupt and perverted. Both of you bringing your thoughts into captivity so you're not lusting after others we live in a corrupt world. Some of us came out of the world. Now, it's been said that you cannot um, stop birds from flying over your head, but you certainly can stop them from building a nest on them, right? The thoughts are going to come. Your pastor gets dirty thoughts. And you know what I have to do? I have to bring them back into captivity and say, Lord, cleanse me. And I just say, Lord, you're so good. I'm glad that you've Make me think on those things that are kind, noble, good. Lord, I just thank you. And I just, I turn to him. I've got to put it out. The institution of marriage carries with it an incredible benefit through sexual relations also. The sexual union is a bond that comes between the husband and wife through these sexual relationships like no other because it is a type of oneness like no other as we've already said and because there is no other person in that type of relationship with you and should not be it is unique there's no one else if you are opening up yourselves to another beginning with flirting you be careful in your sexual relationship as husband and wife you are coming to each other in a sweet surrender affections devotion of love for one another.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the sanctity of marriage on today's Simple Truths. And as always, you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. Now, if you can't join us, a CD copy of this study is available as well for only $4. And the title to ask for is marriage is the best, and this is one way to introduce your friends, married or yet to be, to this outreach. So once again, the title to ask for is marriage is the best, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, twenty-two hundred East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, nine one one zero seven, or to make your request by phone, call eight 800- hundred. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This way we can monitor the impact of this ministry in your area. God, His Word, and Marriage, all brought together right here on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com